This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Gratitude smiles at me from the colorful faces of the flowers in my garden. She sings to me through birdsong and brings me to laughter through a child's innocent curiosity. She smiles at me through a stranger's face and reminds me of unconditional love through the eyes of every mother. Valeria Telles interviews Soraya Saraswati, the author of Shining Through, From Grief to Gratitude. Soraya Saraswati is an author, singer, yoga therapist, TRE facilitator, Ayurvedic coach, nature lover, meditation and non-duality teacher. Her philosophy is love and her healing practice works with intelligent love and action. Together with her husband, well-known composer and musician Terry Oldfield, Soraya owns and runs Mangala Meditation Retreat in the Sunshine Coast hinterland, Queensland, Australia. In 2009, Soraya lost her 17-year-old son to suicide just three years to the day after losing her brother to suicide. This sparked a period of deep grief and soul-searching. Through a series of revelations that culminated in a life-changing awakening, Soraya now experiences inner freedom. Currently, her time is dedicated to living close to nature and supporting others to heal from fear, attachment, and grief, and to awaken to live as loving, peaceful presence. In her memoir, She Gaves, Soraya shares her very moving story through loss. Music and encouraging others to sing is another great joy of Soraya. Terry Oldfield and Soraya have done 13 tours of Europe sharing music from the heart with songs and mantras for peace. Terry is best known for his soaring flutes woven into relaxation and meditation music. Terry Oldfield and Soraya have recorded eight albums together and performed together in retreats. Their music can be found on Spotify and Apple Music. Meet Soraya at SorayaSaraswati.com and TerryOldfield.com. Here's the interview with Soraya Saraswati. In your own words, who is Soraya Saraswati? Well, thank you, Valeria. Soraya Saraswati is, is, is a name, really, isn't it? Um, and, of course, we identify with names. But uh, I, I <laughs> the I am presence here, uh, incarnate in this body and living life and offering as much as I can to, for the upliftment and the awakening of humanity and, of course, that begins right here. So everything I do is directed to being as present, as open, and as loving as can be experienced here. And 
having grown up in Australia uh, in the outback and then in various forests because I tended to favour forests, I like to live as close to nature as possible. But, of course, this identification (laughs) is, is the surface. Underneath we are all as one. I love that clarity, that understanding. How did you come to this realization, Soraya? Well, as a young, young child, I always would uh, run away from my home to the closest piece of bush. <laughs> we lived in various places, luckily, that were close to creeks and, and uh, natural areas, and I would always take off there, and I felt very much at home in nature. Because of the natural surrounds and the, and the feeling that I got from being in nature, rather than the competitive family feeling. My, my family was quite competitive and yeah. that didn't sit so comfortably. I love the way you refer to nature, yeah. I recently interviewed somebody who said something very interesting. She said, nature makes me feel like I belong. I'm not trying to fit in, I just belong there. I am nature itself. That resonates. To me, every time I hear that I don't have a life, I am life. I'm not apart from nature. I am nature. That resonates true, right? It resonates true to me. Absolutely. Nature is just simply being itself, unfolding completely naturally. And, you know, a tree doesn't try to be anything but a tree. Right. And it stands and opens itself to the birds, to the creatures. Yet we in humanity are always trying to be something we're not. And it's for most people falling in love with themselves as they are Mm -hmm. is the greatest challenge in their life. And I wonder, do you have any idea or have you wondered how this happened? How did we come to identify with the body as as this individualized body or energetic being, how did that happen? Or this idea, right? Because I think it's just an idea. It's an illusion from my perspective. Well, I think, and what's come to me over the years is the thing that separates us from nature is the active mind and and the ability to think. Yeah. Now, mind is an incredible gift. It's such a wonderful tool it enables us to be creative, uh, to survive and to thrive, yet it also uh, pushes out in all directions. It has an infinite potential in it mm. and yeah. the human mind is always think- seeking something more. Even now we see it, don't we? Yeah. Now they're sending space rockets up into space to to explore space because we feel like we've explored here on Earth. So now the next thing, of course, is space tourism. It's always pushing the limits. And, and uh, our exploration, unfortunately, has focused on being external. I guess I'm an internal explorer. <laughs> mm, me too. 
Um, <laughs> yes, yeah. Whatever this is, yes, yeah. Uh, says yes <laughs> a billion times to that. What is liberation to you, Soraya? What is liberation? Mm. Liberation is being completely present, fully alive every moment. And of course, it's always this moment, <laughs> always this moment. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Fully alive, fully expressive, without anything being held back. <laughs> it's interesting when we think about the past, it seems like everything is just still here. It's happening at the same time. This is this uh, endless now moment happening not even a moment because we can't that's a moment refers to time there's a reference in time so but it seems like what we are speaking of there's no limits time doesn't exist in that reality no it doesn't i mean the past is is simply a memory so it's a figment of our, of our memory mind and the future is simply a projection into a fantasy perhaps that we might like to happen <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to make it. Yeah. The idea of being a better, living a better life when this is it, <laughs> when this is all we have. Well, I think a lot of people project into the future or the past because they're uncomfortable in the present. But truly, to be truly alive, to be truly uh, present in this moment with an open heart, a heart of love then there's nothing better than that. And with that in mind, grief, how do you describe the experience of grief? And how can we learn to be open and curious enough to hold that space, to welcome that too, grief too? Well, I think you've just said uh, something very important there, and that is to be open to embrace grief too. And I, I, I've experienced some very deep grief in my life. I, my first husband died and then my brother died by suicide and then my 17-year-old son died by suicide. And with my son when he died, that was probably the most powerful and shockingly unexpected um, death that I've experienced and of course you know being your child and coming from your womb that's that's a very deep thing for any mother we we have this uh, unspoken expectation that we'll outlive our children however I found that grief is very important to allow ourselves to feel everything, to never deny what is in each moment. And he, his suicide attempt was in a hospital, so he was then put on life support and I sat with him for several days and then hours after he was taken off life support. And something in me just wanted to be present for every second of those hours so that I wouldn't miss any of that last time together. And then in grief as well, just allowing my, you know, allowing all of it, allowing all of it to come through. 
But the lifting of grief for me came with the absolute acceptance that this is it, this is what happened. Because when we lose someone that we love, there's a resistance there. The first thing, thought that comes up can often be, this can't be happening. This didn't happen to, in inverted commas, me. However, if we fall into absolute acceptance of this has happened and then allow it to wash through, there comes a deep sense of peace. There's still the sadness, of course, because we're attached to the physical, we're attached to that, you know, to that relationship. But peace falls more gently when we allow the whole process naturally. That is interesting the way you say that peace arises yeah, when you allow the feelings of grief to flow. And I have experienced that sense of peace with lots of guests I had here that I spoke with. I could feel that peace in their voices and in the way they were expressing that truth. You just put that in, into words. I never heard it that way, but I sensed it that peace is that sense of inner peace or peace it's coming from that openness being open to life unconditional love is that the space that comes that arises from Saraya? i think it arises from no resistance because mm, whenever right. we resist yeah. anything we create friction we create that sense of resistance in itself, you, even that word resistance, you know, it creates this energy, this energy of that fights with what is. If we can be, as we've already said, completely open, completely present in each moment and, and drink from that moment, but what often comes in is that exacerbates grief is, oh, but I was so looking forward to, you know, my son growing up and and having a partner and getting married and having grandchildren. So, again, we're projecting away from the present or we go back over all the beautiful moments we've had together, which is all okay. But when we can be 100% in this moment with with a deep trust and understanding that we all die, every body dies and and that our time here you know dancing on this on this earthly plane is limited and for each of us that will be a different time if we absolutely trust in the unfolding of the universe and divine timing uh which can which <laughs> it's yeah. funny, but that can take time. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, ironically, yes, yeah, that's the paradox, right. To come to that understanding, but ultimately I came to that understanding that in my son's death, and, and, and his name was Prem, which means love, um, in his death, his death heralded my awakening, which... What a gift, what an incredible gift he gave to me in his life but also in his dying, an opportunity to go to the deep, the depths of, um, of pain and then arise from that 
into the joy of love was, mm. you know, yeah. has been the greatest gift that I've ever received. When you talk about Prem, about him, do you feel anything? Do thoughts arise, memories? For a long time, um, that was there. Now, it's it's almost like he's merged with the infinite. You know, it's um, th there is there is that sense of when I talk about him, there's just an instant feeling of gratitude there, uh, and and love, but no emotion anymore. Really, there's no sadness attached. But every now and then. And not for a long time now, but every now and then afterwards, you know, it took me a few years. This didn't just happen overnight. Right, right, yes. <laughs> you know, wisdom grows. And every now and then, you know, a memory will pop up and, and, and it'll be a fond memory or it might be a sad memory. And we are emotive beings. Yes. I never deny anything that washes through here, that passes through. Right. If something arises, I let it arise and then it passes. Mm. You know, never to be in denial of that. With that in mind, I know we didn't talk about the title of your book yet and that I want to have so many other questions here, but let me ask you now. So you wrote the book Shining Through From Grief to Gratitude. Talk to me about the main intention of writing your book, Soraya. Well, Prem went to the hospital for support and um, we explained to them that he was feeling suicidal. Um, the hospital, this, this is going back quite a while, but sadly they didn't believe that he was suicidal and didn't take safety precautions and he yeah. took his life there but was on life support um, for a few days and then was released from that. Now, During the 11 hours it took for him to take his last breath, I sat with him and talked to him uh, because I, I believe that, you know, we can still communicate and massaged his body and promised him that I would tell his story because mm -hmm. he had told me years prior that he would wanted to dedicate his life to help other teenagers who were struggling. Mm. And yeah. I said, well, Prem, you will. I'll write your story. You will be helping people. And I made that promise to him as he was taking his last breaths. Yeah. And that was a big commitment. I took that commitment very, very seriously. Yeah. I wrote the first chapter while I was sitting there with him. Um, and it helped me to stay present. I didn't want to miss a moment of our last few hours together. So in writing that and holding his hand and being with him, um, I, f I felt that I could bring him through the book. Talk to me for a moment about the inspiration for the cover, the lotus flower and the symbology of that. Sorry. I've always loved the symbology of the lotus flower and, and uh, from a very early age I started to practice yoga before it was popular yeah. going back to the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone thought it was very strange in those days. Right. And it's a symbol that uh, some of my masters would speak about and I thought it was such a beautiful symbol that the lotus 
grows underneath the lake and it begins in the mud, in the darkness, in the muck, in the messiness. And then the lotus flower grows up through the murky water, finally following the light of the sun, it breaks free of the water, which symbolises the emotion and the commotion that we go through in life. And the lotus rises above the water and only opens its petals to the light of the sun. Of course, the sun is symbolising our awakening to the light, our awakening to love. So it's, a, it's really about our journey from, from darkness, from ignorance, from, from being entangled in the messiness of the emotional traumas we go through in life to an awakening to live in the light of each moment of each day. I love that. When I saw the cover of your book and then I read the symbology, which I had the knowledge prior, but then it's a reminder because I don't keep a lot of things in my mind for some reason. (laughs) The memories, they go away pretty fast. So that was refreshing to just listen to you now and read them because it makes so much sense. Yeah, I have a question for you about the retreats that you hold these days and also your spiritual journey. How did that begin? Well, my spiritual journey, I think, become began when I um, incarnated. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a very natural well, I, answer. <laughs> yeah. When yes. I was a child, I would uh, very, very much so, as I said before, I would run off into nature and, yeah. and want to surround myself with nature. And I'd write poetry and I'd talk, talk to God. Of course, I didn't know what God was. And, uh, of course, the whole thought of God is still an obscure thought. But I would talk to the divine because I was very lucky. I grew up without any particular religion, so I didn't have any dogma there. I would just talk to the divine through the forest. And I was very blessed, I think, not to grow up with a particular religion, but for a call, you know, feeling just, answering that calling that was in my childlike heart and mind to some higher, something more, something greater. And, of course, in in my innocence, I, I found nature greater, which I still feel is. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, I cannot even start talking about nature. It would be the entire conversation, yes. Non-duality. And you are a non-duality teacher. How do you communicate this paradoxical message to other people, Soraya? Yeah, it's. Um, I think there's a lot of different ways of explaining non-duality, but the way I like to to explain it is that there is a field, a field of consciousness which moves and is everything and then from that is born the material matter the objects the subject but when we melt back we are all that one field of consciousness and you know Mahatma Gandhi had a beautiful way of describing that he he said the divine radio is always playing we just have to adjust our dials, and that's yeah. my interpretation. Of it. 
<laughs> yeah, that makes it fun too, in a way. <laughs> the tuning in, the tuning into that divine field which flows through and is everything, and expresses as multiplicity and duality, um, which we experience here. But what happens is in in, in our in our human life, we get attached to the separate self. We get attached to the, uh, the persona. We get attached to the story of me and we forget this beautiful underlying matrix which, which links us all as one. And if we could remember who we truly are in that field of oneness, then there would be no war. There would mm. be no conflict. But perhaps consciousness gets bored with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> consciousness yeah. Can, can only experience itself through the manifest, through the material. Thus, you know, yeah. we are the play of consciousness, mm. <laughs> expressing in this in this world of um, mm. multiplicity and duality. Yeah. And remembering that divine play, the leela uh, yeah. is. Yeah, it's almost the impossible. We are talking about something that cannot even be talked about, right, Soraya? In a way, absolutely. And, and yeah, yeah, you know, we're attempting to talk about it here, but really, it's the old finger pointing at the moon, isn't it? You know, where where is our focus? And and we use words because that's what we have. And although that's clumsy, we can still be pointing towards what can only be an experience of melting away and in in those those moments and my my first awakening to to that experience came you know in the northern territory um in a sunset in a in a an indigenous burial ground where i was just all of a sudden transported there was nobody here there was nothing and no one and of course, from that experience, it's impossible to describe that experience where everything vanishes. Mm. So we're only pointing toward it here. It may be because it was not an experience. I mean, it cannot be described because it's not an experience. Well, there was no one there to experience it in that moment. So just everything vanished. It's a bit like go to sleep at night you know we 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 remember our dreams but when we're in deep sleep do we remember what happens in deep sleep sleep there's nothingness no thingness and when there's no thingness there's no memory of that except what we do say is i slept like a log it was such a deep sleep yeah. <laughs> or anything yeah <laughs> perhaps this is happens when the entity is no longer here when the you know the persona is gone and the body passes we just enter back into that blissful no thingness that's very challenging for the mind <laughs> for the eye <laughs> talk to me about silence i know you hold we talked off record for a moment you hold retreats silent retreats so talk to me about the power of silent and where you hold these retreats online offline yeah, at the moment during this period where travel has become difficult, prior to that 
my husband is a composer and a musician and quite a famous one actually and we work together I I also sing because in singing you lose yourself completely a little hint when you sing with full heart there can be no thinking the thinking mind stops which is beautiful so we run uh, sounds and silence retreats at the moment here at our home, which is Mangalam Meditation Retreat on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, Australia. And those sound and silence retreats are focused around letting go of all talking and chat. So during the day, there's no talking by the attendees. We uh, use music, sound, and nature together with silent meditations and guided meditations throughout the day so that the sound that is um, sung and comes through as music is laid on a bed of silence. Now, of course, for some people, as soon as they're asked to be silent and not speak, the mind becomes noisier than ever <laughs> that, that can be an experience and it, but it's good to notice this because most people direct their awareness outward constantly chat 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 do 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 you know we're very good at being little human doings but to be a human being or being human we have the opportunity to drop down into that beautiful presence we've already talked about. And coming into silence shows us what's here. And then using the power of sound and music and the um, harmonic resonance of that to move deep, deep into the cells helps one to drop into silence. The singing of ancient mantras stops the mind for a period of time so it gives the individual an experience of no mind just for a short time and once we've had that experience of no mind and deep peace then that it, it's like a little light is ignited in someone's heart and that is where they want to be so so then Choices arise that will perhaps allow uh, allow that that presence and that that deep silence to grow. I, I don't. I avoid the word seeking because of as soon as we talk about seeking, we're um, we're pushing away from the present, and it, it's very important that the seeking stops and we drop in right here and right now. And we speak about that, or I speak about that on our retreats, uh, that we're, we're letting go of a seeking for something away from now. Mm. We're coming very much into the present and mm. seeing what's here right now. Gratitude, Soraya. Is gratitude a practice, an understanding in time, or it can become a state of being? Ultimately, <clears throat> gratitude is a state of being. Initially, from experience, 
after my son died, I used gratitude as a tool. You know, I would I would lie in bed and I was just, you know, my heart was broken. I was weeping. I was uninterested in life for a time. And I would just, the only thing I could think to do, and, and again, not think, but the only thing I found myself doing, I was thanking my pillow for accepting my tears. I was thanking my husband for lying beside me and just letting me, you know, cry, letting letting me grieve. I was thanking the trees, you know, for offering shade over me when I would just lie on the earth in despair. I used gratitude as a tool spontaneously. It wasn't something I thought about. I just found myself doing that. Ultimately, though, gratitude and the idea of gratitude melted away when when deep, profound acceptance landed here. And in that acceptance of all as it is, without any expectation of it being any different, then gratitude simply was and and even gratitude melted into that acceptance. The acceptance of, of and it you know again we're directing something with a word acceptance. You know, and and, and that's all we can do is point toward that, but no resistance. No resistance again. It's so powerful to what is and, and and just allowing the fullness of what is to land here is just so powerful. So from from that journey of automatically using gratitude to pull me back to life, to keep me in the present moment, thank you for whatever was supporting me in that moment, um, to a point of complete surrender into absolute acceptance of life as it is in each moment. And then that's a living gratitude. And again, even the word gratitude falls short. What comes to me is that healing or grief, or the understandings or these realizations you have now in the way you express yourself, which is beautiful and is graceful it's light it's uh we would call divine it seems to me like it takes it's not time but it's the falling away of the illusion that that could not happen it seems like we are living in separate realities which we are from life itself which is unconditional love and anything could happen but we are not really aware of that and it seems to me like that's what happens, the, the process. But I never experienced grief, so I don't know. From the perspective of having different, losing different things in my life, I can see that. It's just this illusion. It's dissolving, falling away. And what is left is the, what do you call acceptance? And what I call merging back with nature. Just being life. Not having a life, but being life itself. Being life itself, absolutely, and allowing that. And although, again, we're using clumsy words, that, that awakening can own and that knowing, that, that dropping in 
to to life itself can only happen when it happens and it's and it seems looking looking you know because i'm also a therapist it seems that that occurs those little awakenings along the way toward that deep dropping in occur occur only when there's an openness in the individual for that to occur and Although desire is a, is, a, is a human and it's very much um, associated in time and space, it's when that spark of desire awakens in someone that they want to merge with the divine, that that is the most important thing in their life. Very often then that leads them to wanting to release and peel back all the layers of belief, all the layers of trauma, all the layers that have caused resistance to life um, in its forms. And in that peeling away, um, whether that happens through therapy, you know, I work with, with different therapies myself to help people in that process, but it seems like it's a process but the actual dropping away only happens instantly in the moment when when all the resistance and all the veils of illusion, illusory um, belief that we've been clinging to, that that our society trains us. Yes. Into, when they drop, then there's that um, awakening into open, um, profound presence. Mm. which is indescribable, of course. And who would want that if there is a sense of I, of that person, individual, separated person here, it would not want to do that. So that makes so much sense that it's almost the impossible happening. It seems to me like suffering and being having this sincere desire to know the truth can lead to that falling, dissolving of the I. But even then, we don't know when yet it happens exactly. I think it's also important to note that, you know, this life is a dance. This life is a gift. Yeah. We are here to have this human experience <laughs> yes, yes. all its fullness, yes. in all, whether, whether it's grief or love or loss or um, joy and playfulness. We're here to actually enjoy all of that. And when there's no attachment to the separate persona, when there's no attachment to how it should look and how it could look and how I look, the identification looks, then, then life can be very joyful, very beautiful and such a gift um, in, 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 in magical moments, in simple, simple things. It amazes me that we can even talk about this, right? Yeah, it amazes this here, that I cannot comprehend that, that we can talk about it even. I was playing with my little grandson yesterday. I had a fire in the forest and uh, just sitting there with him, looking through his little eyes. He's not quite two yet. And his, he was just mesmerized by the flames and we just sat there watching <laughs> the flame fire. And it was such a beautiful... It was. It's so beautiful to see everything through the eyes of a child again. Yeah. So there are so many gifts 
always gets. Yeah, it, it just gets me out of time and space in, in a way when I have these conversations because it's so, yeah, it's the impossible, the gift of the impossible here just happening. It amazes me. So we're almost at the end. I have some passages here from your book that really touched me in a beautiful, profound way. I love the way you talk about gratitude. Towards the end, you say, gratitude smiles at me from the colorful faces of the flowers in my garden. She sings to me through birdsong and brings me to laughter through a child's innocent curiosity. She smiles at me through a stranger's face and reminds me of unconditional love through the eyes of every mother. This is chapter four, Living Gratitude. And you also say, in the nine truths behind personal feelings of anger, guilt, and shame, and holding hard resentment and blame in our hearts, we will only continue to hurt ourselves. And then you say, shame can arise from held guilt and seems to have a deeper, darker grip on us. Before we end the conversation today, Soraya, talk to me about your thoughts on suicide and what can we do as individuals, I would love to say as a whole, as wholeness, but coming from an individual space, what can we do to to pass this message on, to help somehow to ease, to decrease the numbers of suicide in, in the world, not just Australia, but in the world. Yes, it's a very sad fact, and, and I'm sure in the US as well, but suicide rates yes. have increased yes. astronomically yes. since this um, period of COVID as well. Um, and it's so sad that a, that a person can reach a point in their life that they feel that it's no longer worth living. Compassion, love, kindness is, is uh, the offering that we can give to, to anyone who's struggling to be open simply to listen because so many people don't feel that they're being heard. they having difficulty managing their own profoundly dark emotions, but then on top of that there's the guilt and the shame that they struggle with to express those to their loved ones. We've put a very high bar of judgment um, in our society on being strong, being good, doing the best, you know, achievement on a material plane. What we aren't sharing is to be able to be with our emotions, to feel and to be able to express those without shame, without guilt. And if we look at the emotional scale energetically, shame and depression are right down on the bottom of this scale and peace and enlightenment are at the top of this scale. Mm. Even feeling anger is rising up out of shame and depression. So 
if there's anger there, let the anger be there. Use the energy of that anger to rise back up into life again. Uh, yet, yet still we, um, we crush that. So allowing everything to be as it is, coming back to that without judgment. We judge so harshly. And uh, I think education is, is a great place to start. I know that now mindfulness, which includes being aware of our feelings and emotions, is uh, growing in the schools in the US. It's now starting here as well. Educating our children from a very early age and allowing them to feel what they're feeling, letting go of um, all the judgment all the, the shame that we're putting on our children from such a young age and creating greater support. I mean, loving kindness, there are so many people doing such good work in the world and suicide awareness is growing. I'm a suicide prevention speaker myself and I always talk about mindfulness, you know, being aware, being conscious, allowing our feelings being a listening ear without judgment is one of the kindest and most profound things we can offer. When someone's suffering, letting them letting them suffer but being there for them so that they can express that. And once they feel accepted and not judged, they can begin to move forward. Thank you so much, Soraya, for your work, your strength, your beautiful light presence, peaceful presence, and everything between that could be felt today. Thank you. Thank you very much, Valeria. Before we say goodbye, I do have one more question for you. Uh, I have actually two questions, a technical one and another question, ending question. Would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book, Soraya, before I ask those questions? Well, it's interesting. The passage that you read is one of my favorite passages in the book. <laughs> <laughs> wow, coincidence, which is not really yeah. synchronicity. <laughs> and I often refer to that passage because gratitude, you know, when, when someone is in deep despair, look to nature. I remember once after my husband died and I was left with my three little boys on my own and I was walking along a beach and all of a sudden I saw the diamond shining on the water as the sun burst out of a cloud and I looked and I thought even in this grief you know the world is showing me diamonds it was amazing uh, my last question to you is what are three things about life you wish everyone to know or to have before they leave the body that you are far greater than you could have ever imagined. It would be number one. Yeah. And actually the, the most read book in the world is the Bhagavad Gita. And in the Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna asks Krishna, show me God, show me God. And Krishna says, no, I can't. It will blow your mind. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Um, yes. <laughs> it, it is so amazing. There is so much light that you cannot comprehend that right now. 
So remember that you are far greater. You are perfection and beauty. And I'm not talking about the body. I'm talking about who you truly are. And that life is a profound gift with all that it offers, the the good, the bad, the ugly. (laughs) And that let go of all judgment and Mm. move into a space of love because only, only in profound love will we find peace. So I see life as a return to love. Before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Um, well, I have a website, which is my name, um, and of course, um, that's a tricky name. So yeah, yeah. I'll have it there. <laughs> Spreadsaraswati.com. Our music is available all over Spotify and um, Apple Music. It's it's available everywhere. And that's Terry Oldfield, my husband, Terry Oldfield and Saraya. Um, or some of the music is just under Terry Oldfield because he's the most profound composer. And uh, we're here on the Sunshine Coast at Mangalam Meditation Retreat. However, I work online all over the world with my uh, yoga therapy, TRE, trauma release work, which is a somatic form of of releasing trauma that's locked into the cellular memory of the body. Uh, And... And we also run a free online satsang every Sunday evening, Australia time, which is morning in Europe, the middle of the night in the US. (laughs) Yes. That's a a beautiful Mm -hmm. sangha has formed there. Uh, It's a global sangha, a a group of or community of like-minded people. And we, we we discuss or point toward that profound love um, from a non-dual perspective. I'll have the website on your podcast profile too. Thank you so much again, Saray, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Namaste. Namaste. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Saraya Saraswati and her work, please visit sarayasaraswati.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.